Welcome to Living and Marcelo's Criminology Podcast, a podcast hosted by Marcelo Aevi from the University of Lausanne, Switzerland, and Living Powers from Ghent University, Belgium. We aim to draw a map of the state of criminology across Europe through the words of contemporary criminologists. How is criminology defined and taught? Which are the main lines of research? Which are the main schools of thought in each country? These and many other questions are answered here by fellow researchers who share their vision on the development of criminology in their countries from its beginnings to the second decade of the 21st century. If you want to know and compare their stories, stay tuned. Today, we are interviewing Krzysztof Krajewski. Krzysztof Krajewski is professor of criminology and head of the Department of Criminology at the Jagiellonian University in Krakow, Poland. He is a former president of the European Society of Criminology and also member of the board of the European Journal of Criminology and many others, both Polish and international journals. Professor Krajewski studied both law and sociology and has been member of the advisory board of the European Monitoring Center for Drugs and Drug Addiction, the EMCDDA, since 2008. This interview was conducted on the 25th of November 2022. Welcome, Professor Krajewski. We are very pleased to have you in our podcast series. Let's just uh, go ahead and, and talk about the topics we've been talking about in all our uh, previous editions. As you know, we compare uh, situations across European countries and want to give our listeners a view of, of different developments, uh, different uh, emphasis in, in research and teaching criminology as a broad. So let's start with the probably most difficult question, and that is the question related to uh, the definition of criminology uh, as it exists in Poland. Um, how would you define criminology in, in Poland? Well, it's probably the trickiest question, really. Uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, it's absolutely true that in uh, Anglo-American countries, you know, the definition of criminology is rather clear. But it's not necessarily the case in Europe and the more eastward you move, uh, things become probably less clear in that respect. But in principle, the first thing that criminology is usually strictly in, in Poland in terms of teaching and research always was and still is to a large extent related to teaching law and legal science, etc., or to say. So it means that we, exi we criminologists exist primarily within law faculties uh, and uh, most prevailing, overwhelming uh, majority of criminologists are lawyers by education, sometimes with some supplementary, let's say, studies in social science, but it's not always the case. Uh, so, even from the formal point of view, because there are some, you know, uh, provisions uh, on classification of the disciplines of uh, of research and science, etc., etc., we are uh, classified as within legal science, uh, 
and it sometimes creates uh, strange situations. Uh, there is a one colleague who is 100% sociologist at one of the Polish universities, and he does think since some time exclusively related to criminology, and uh, he wanted to start some sort of procedure to become full professor. And it was problem to find reviewers, because in principle, his reviewers should be sociologists, because he is sociologist. But there are no sociologists competent in criminology in Poland, or too many of them. So it was supposed that he will have lawyers as his reviewers, and it's, it was extremely complicated uh, situation. So uh, first of all is this, this legal science, which, which uh, has a very strong imprint on criminology in Poland. And this creates, of course, uh, additional problems that there is very often not too clear border between what criminologists do and lawyers do. Uh, lawyers who do normally with normative problems related to interpretation of laws and, and so and so on. But in principle, there are many lawyers who engage in some sort of empirical research with regards law, uh, what Germans call Rechtsstaatsachenforschung. Uh, it, it means the, the, the research on how laws are applied, uh, how function in practice, etc. So it is not always clear distinction. There are some overlaps. There are many criminologists who do very similar things to what people considering themselves lawyers do. And second thing, what is probably even more common, that in Central and Eastern Europe since World War II, it was quite common to have at the universities departments of something what you would call uh, in English probably forensic science. Uh, criminalistic in, in German, criminalistic in French, it's criminalistica in Polish. Uh, this is, of course, uh, something pretty specific, what uh, is related to everything uh, uh, what has something to do with, you know, investigating uh, offenses uh, and, and, and such things. But people doing this type of things in Poland do very often also things which have something to, which would be considered criminology uh, elsewhere, because it's very often related to patterns of crime, uh, to to certain things related uh, related to offenders, etc., uh, etc. Et and it is not necessarily, for example, the case in Krakow at at my faculty, but in a few other places in Poland there are even institutional overlaps uh, between forensic science and, and criminology. And it is probably interesting that 
it is very often that people involved in forensic science research do things criminological, but not the other way around, you know. Criminologists rather refrain from fingerprints, DNA, psychological profiling, and, 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 and such, uh, such issues. Third thing, which is probably quite recent, is probably about 10, 15 years, that there is a new growing branch I don't know whether it's real science and real research. It is certainly some practical area, which means research related to security issues. Uh, we call it sometimes, it is a strange, no one probably uses such words in English, but we call it sometimes securitology. <laughs> this is something which is, you know, uh, quite popular as a matter of fact, because there are many, many young people who want uh, to to study, uh, to make such studies and to get degrees in in those uh, areas. People, for example, uh, who want to work primarily in police, in border guards, in other, well, even, you know, um, uh, fire brigades or, or whatever, because it is the opportunity to get some, some degree. And now quite a lot of universities offer programs in security studies and security research. And it is sometimes some sort of competition for, for criminologists, let's say. So, as you see, uh, it is, well, not necessarily very clear. There are very many, many things. Nevertheless, it is probably true that for, for a very, very long time, uh, involvement of social science, let's say, like it is the case in Anglo-American uh, world, was, well, I wouldn't say insignificant, but it was very limited. It is changing since some time. There are increasing numbers of, of let's say, people, primarily psychologists, as a matter of fact, who do things criminological, to less extent probably sociologists, but it's changing, let's say. But as I said, it is, it is not considered to be a branch of social science for by majority of people and that's probably more or less uh, eastern european but to a certain extent also uh, european pattern late, related to criminology yes uh, now that you mention it i've seen that in some countries like bosnia and herzegovina there are even yeah. faculties of criminology criminalistics and security yeah yeah that yeah. is the case also in Poland. You have specific... Uh... No, well, there are sometimes in some private school, uh. there may be eventually either equivalents of faculties or separate uh, studies, uh, types of studies devoted exclusively to those things 
related to security. In big universities, I would say, well, best universities, there are some, well, institutes, departments, but they are usually either in our, in the Jagiellonian University, there is a faculty, which is, this is very strange, strange, of management or something like this, what is not necessarily uh, related exclusively to management in terms of economy, etc., but managing everything. And it involves also managing security issues, and they have some sort of department uh, for security studies or something like this. Although, as far as I know, uh, they don't necessarily do uh, things uh, criminological. They do things related to uh, international security and such things. The head of this department is a uh, retired general uh, who does things military primarily, <laughs> and that's what 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 they do. Uh, you know, so it it depends, but like this pattern, like in in Sarajevo or or in Bosnia Herzegovina, faculties, as far as I know, do not exist. But either within law faculties or within eventually some other, it depends sometimes on personal things, etc. Some other faculties, there may be department, institute, whatever. Yeah, it's a kind of separation between the, the, the social science, criminology, which, as you mentioned, in uh, Poland is more related to um, to law and yeah. yeah, security more. Yeah, not a not a social science, let's say. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. In yeah. another sense. OK, yeah. yeah, I would say that probably two exceptions were connection between uh, social science and criminology's most visible is uh, Warsaw and various institutions uh, dedicated to criminology in Warsaw and uh, Krakow. But otherwise, it's not necessarily so. <laughs> okay, okay. And so about the institutes of criminology eh, in, yeah. um, uh, in Poland, we yeah, we know uh, your work uh, in um, uh, in Krakow, but uh, can you give us a general idea of which is the situation? Well, we have normally, uh, well, the faculties at the universities are, let's say, divided into institutes uh, or departments, or we have also this German uh, uh, system of uh, Lehrstuhls, you know. Uh, in Krakow, we have Lehrstuhls. Uh, in Warsaw, they have primarily institutes. And if you search for anything having criminology in its name, Institute, Department, Lehrstuhl, you have it only in Warsaw, at the law faculty, there is Department of Criminology. And in Krakow, you have my Lehrstuhl of Criminology. And there is also in Olsztyn, that is in north of Poland, in German, it was Allenstein, 
which is a relatively new university, and they have also a department of criminology. And those are probably only three institutions which are criminology pure, let's say, nothing else. <laughs> Everywhere else, you have some sort of combination between criminology and something else. Uh, and this something else sometimes is more important than criminology. For example, in Białystok, where Emil Pływaczewski, whom you'd probably know, is or was because he retired just a couple of months ago, there is Department of Penal Law and Criminology. In Gdańsk, it is also Penal Law and Criminology. Uh, in some place, in, in Lublin, it is also so, I think. Uh, sometimes it's combined uh, forensic science or criminalistic and criminology. Uh, so it is sometimes like in Germany that you have also very few Lehrstuhl uh, für Kriminologie only, or one or two probably. It is usually combined uh, what they call penitentiary law and criminology. So people who, even if you don't have criminology department at some universities, but there is department for penitentiary law or prison studies or something like this, they do very often things criminological without having it in, in the name of the, uh, of the department. But if you try to search for, let's say, research and teaching institutions devoted to criminology, uh, there are not too, too many uh, in, in, in Poland. Okay. But that must have some impact on uh, the programs which are taught. Certainly. So Certainly. On choice, you have a different curriculum or... In most cases, criminology courses are made for law students. And this is, of course, something extremely problematic uh, because you have to limit yourself and make yourself understandable, let's say, for students who usually have no uh, background in social science, in methodology of social research, and 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 such things so it's it's the case in in krakow also because we do various criminological courses to law students although my uh, course in criminology is also attended by students from other faculties mainly psychologists and sociologists uh, but otherwise it is for law students and it in, means, of course, as I said, enormous limitation. It must be somehow law-related, legal practice-related, uh, because otherwise it is beyond uh, the possibilities of comprehension, let's say, of of <laughs> our of, of of attendees of of those those programs. And it is a huge problem. Uh, it is not only in Krakow, it is also at other universities, with exceptions, some of course, because there is criminology in Warsaw, 
at the university, there are two, uh, let's say, institutes or departments of criminology. One is like mine within the law faculty. And that's a classical pattern. Monica Platek was, was, was the ancillary is there. The other is at uh, the faculty with very, very strange uh, name, uh, faculty of social prophylaxis and resocialization. Uh, it's institute within the, social, the Faculty of Applied Social Science. And this is something what has overwhelmingly uh, sociological and psychological character. Most people there are sociologists or psychologists, although there are also some lawyers. And what they do, because the students there receive their degrees in social science, not in law, but in social science. Uh, and this makes those studies different. Uh, they, they really do social, applied social science also in the area of criminology, and they do teach uh, in that way. Uh, they prepare mainly, let's say, students who later on work uh, in uh, social welfare institutions, probation officers, this type of, 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 of stuff. So this is probably the, the only, well, institute which, which, which does think criminological from social science perspective, although law is always present there too, and some of the people there are, are lawyers. Otherwise, if you have master programs, for example, in or bachelor programs in criminology, because there are some some uh, in universities with bachelor programs in criminology, they are usually attached anyway to law faculties, but they try to combine various uh, things. Honestly speaking, depending on the local, uh, let's say, forces, <laughs> availability of, of faculty members and people who, who can uh, contribute in more or less reasonable way to, uh, to those programs. That was, as a matter of fact, for example, a problem, program, problem for me, because I was thinking about opening master program in criminology in Krakow, and it came, we came to the conclusion that we don't have enough uh, specialists to provide a really reasonable uh, program of studies within the university, because we, anyway, we would have to borrow people from sociology, psychology, whatever, you know. But even considering this, there was not probably enough staff to, to guarantee quality, let's say. And that's very often the problem at some other universities that, well, you know, they do various programs, although, well, let's say <laughs> it's sometimes problematic. And therefore, you know, because I think that organizing master programs in criminology is absolutely reasonable, makes sense. Uh, there are many students 
who, let's say, finish their bachelor degrees in sociology, psychology, political science, whatever, and they are interested in, in continuing in the, the direction of criminology. Uh, but there are one or two uh, universities which do bachelor programs in criminology. And to be honest, I have very serious doubts about this, whether it makes sense. Uh, and and what, what would be also, you know, the perspectives of those uh, people on the market, on the labor market, because here I am not, not, not certain. And, and therefore, uh, I never considered eventually a bachelor program in criminology, but master Yes, of course, that's 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 reasonable. That's a very interesting uh, issue you were talking about. I mean, um, this is something that's being discussed in many countries. I mean, I mean, it's obviously very important to have these master classes and master programs because you can really have differential input. People who have a bachelor in social science know about social science methodology. So I can really see the advantage. But of course, if we have to start from scratch, that's always the big challenge. And this is something that's being discussed in, in many European uh, countries. I recognize the discussion. We also had it. The question sometimes is the difference between quality and, and quantity. How many students do you want? And if you start at the bachelor level, you have many students, but you cannot do everything yourself. I completely agree. It's, um, it's a very challenging issue. Um, there are serious doubts whether uh, those programs bachelor programs which exist in Poland really provide sufficient quality, you know, and whether it is something reasonable at all from the point of view of also, as I said, of finding employment later on. But even these universities that are offering um, these programs, um, are they public or private universities? Because there is a development of private universities, no? Most of them are public universities, but there are also some private, even in Krakow, uh, there is a private university, which is not that much bad, let's say, because it is always problem in Central and Eastern Europe that if you have especially some little, small uh, private uh, universities of, or high schools, uh, for example, this private university in, in, in Krakow, which is one of the probably best private schools in Poland, they have now a program, but it is a program in public security. They do think criminological, but, but the studies, not legal studies, but in, involving, let's say, public security, what means that those people are supposed to be professionals, I don't know, police, uh, prison service eventually, uh, and such, uh, such things. You know, the problem with private schools in Poland is that, well, like any private school, they depend on students' tuitions. Uh, and of course, Harvard depends on students' tuitions too, uh, but they usually uh, may, uh, may can be very well uh, choicy, let's say, and and choose best uh, students uh, for them. It is not necessarily the case in Central and Eastern Europe, because those who study in private schools 
are not necessarily best students uh, or best pupils in high schools, etc. They can afford paying for their studies, but it means that, well, uh, that the quality is sometimes problematic also because private high schools think primarily about their income and not about the quality of teaching. Uh, so with few exceptions, of course, it's not, not a general thing. There are a couple of private schools which are excellent in, in Poland, but majority, not necessarily. And the problem is that, you know, studying something which is called criminology is attractive for young people. And usually when the university opens such possibility, it attracts enormous number of young people who very often have no foggiest idea what criminology is about. This is additional problem because they think they mix up very often criminology with criminalistics, for example, and they think that they will be, you know, doing things related to investigation, fingerprints, DNA analysis and and such things. No, it's, it's, it's not what is criminology about. And this creates additional problems uh, very often that that young people who start such studies do not know really what they are going to 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 study at those universities or or high schools if you go to study engineering or even law you usually know what you are going to study <laughs> but with case in case of criminology it is often not so clear yeah 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 and uh, another indicator sometimes of the institutionalization of the discipline is the journals and you have these yeah. archives of criminology in yeah. in Poland. Yeah. I'm a member of the editorial board. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Let me put it this way. It is the only one exclusively criminological journal in Poland. This is the first one. It has tradition because it's uh, under a slightly different uh, title it appeared already before World War II. Uh, there were four volumes were published before 1939, uh, including two of them contain very large and very important studies of uh, statistical data on crime by uh, Leon Radzinovich. Uh, so, because he, before he left to, 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 to to, to UK, he, he was quite active in uh, in publishing and doing criminological research in Polish, in, 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 in Poland. Uh, so archives of criminology were suspended during the 1950s because the communists considered criminology to be a, let's say, uh, imperialist type of science, uh, bourgeois science, uh, and therefore they banned criminological research and all institutional forms of criminology. It returned in 19, after 1956 and primarily in Warsaw. And the, at, at the Academy of Science, they recreated uh, 
because before the war it was archivum criminologiczne, which means criminological archives, uh, and they reinstituted it as, as archives of criminology. Uh, and since that time, it was a yearbook, and only uh, three years or four years ago, it appears half a, every half a year. So there are two volumes uh, a, a, a year. And what they did, this is Witold Klaus, who is now editor-in-chief, in, in that they uh, try uh, also to be much more international, let's say, uh, and to publish primarily in English. At least a couple of articles in each volume are uh, in English, and it is, uh, let's say, decent English. <laughs> because they have a people who do uh, copy editing, native speakers who do uh, copy editing for 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 them, and they do it very competently. So there are even some issues which were completely in English, and well, I, I would say that probably the original idea is was to make archives of criminology some sort of journal for Central European criminology, but now I think they go beyond this, because certainly there are also uh, things, especially special issues, uh, which, which they publish, which are, uh, well, not only European, or truly European, but, but even global uh, sometimes. So it is, I think, quite, quite, quite good uh, thing, and there well, the, the, the direction they have taken a couple of years ago is absolutely good, and it, 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 it works, let's say. It is probably the only one such, uh, such journal in, in, in Central Europe, which is above the purely national uh, level and, and, and impact. Otherwise, there was an attempt by colleagues from Gdańsk to start English language, exclusively English language journal. It was called Polish Journal of Criminology. And it was supposed to be, I think, published four times a, a year, like many uh, journals. But I think they managed, they ran out of money. They had some sort of grant uh, from the research ministry, uh, but it was enough for three years only, I think. Uh, they 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 don't haven't received any more uh, fin financial support and as far as I know since four years or something like this this journal is not appearing let's say otherwise there are of course various journals which do and publish things criminological uh, but they are well interdisciplinary journals related to legal, primarily some legal uh, things, uh, and usually they don't publish in other languages. They do publish only in, uh, in, in Polish. That's current, uh, current uh, situation. There is also <laughs> one strange thing which is extremely frustrating not only for criminologists, but also for, for all uh, 
uh, researchers in this country, but for researchers in social science, law, and relevant uh, areas, it is primarily something very, very frustrating. We have, namely, uh, what is probably known everywhere in Europe and in the world, that for publishing, uh, the journals are assessed with regards to the quality, etc., and you receive for, for, for publishing in a journal a certain amount of credits, let's say, the, the, the researcher, the, 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 the scholar. And up till 19, 2015, there was a special independent uh, committee within the research ministry. They were reviewing every couple of years the journals and assigning those, those credits uh, in more or less independent and let's say reasonable objective way. Since 2015, as you may know, I do not want to be too much political, but nevertheless, we have some political problems in, in Poland and current government or current research ministry did things absolutely appalling because they assign now those credits to journals absolutely at will. Uh, there are no clear criteria, no clear procedures. It's not transparent. And therefore, to give you just example, there are two journals which are more or less related or connected to the Ministry of Justice. Uh, in one of them, the Minister of Justice is even head of editorial board. One, especially one of those journals, used to be quite reasonable up till 2015. But now, for one of them is devoted to penitentiary problems and 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 prison law and such such things. Now, what who publish publishes in this journal? Practically only people working in uh, prison administration. And you receive. For the journal, for the article published in those, uh, in this journal, hundred credits says nothing at the moment to you. There is also other uh, journal published by the Ministry of Justice, which uh, for which you receive also hundred credits. Archives of criminology. For archives of criminology, you receive seventy credits. There is also. Uh, such a journal, State and Law, it is published by, by the Academy of Science. It's certainly the best legal journal in Poland, with enormous tradition, very good, high quality, etc., etc. For publishing in this journal, you receive also 70 credits. So, poor quality journals, for political reasons, uh, received much, are graded much, much higher uh, than really established high quality traditional uh, journals. Uh, and this is something extremely frustrating under current conditions. There is no way to change this. The, the most troublesome aspect of this is that it is what some people from current government admit, that this is an attempt to corrupt young people and to send 
texts to those journals because for well for me it doesn't matter whether I publish there or the there but for young people it is very important because it has impact on how they are evaluated by their employers and if you do this exclusively in those uh, quantitative terms of uh, number of credits you have collected during uh, a year or two uh, it is ob obvious that for young people it is understandable that they attempt to publish in those highly valued in terms of credits uh, journals which are not necessarily really good journals and it is also the problem is that it is much very often much more much easier to get text accepted in those journals than let's say in archives of criminology or or other journals because probably these journals also have a certain line a certain editorial line well that probably in case you send something very critical about cur current uh, things going on within criminal justice system rule of law etc in uh, in poland uh, you may risk uh, not being having it accepted you know while mm -hmm. in archives of criminology or in state and law on few other journals such things doesn't matter uh, because it's quality what counts and and not political uh, stance, let's say. I have to ask uh, ask you this because, yeah, it it seems quite incredible in the 21st century to be in this situation and to have um, governments that take autocratic positions in in, in Europe. Huh? Um, do you think that the people that are publishing in in this um, in archives of criminology or the people that are critical to the to the regime? The, the risks they are incurring currently? Well, I would say at the moment, no, probably, especially if you are, uh, let's say, at uh, big, respectable, established university. Because among, let's say, researchers, scholars, officials, uh, at that university, no one usually thinks in terms of of applying criteria other <laughs> than quality. In smaller places, well, both state and private, it's it is. I wouldn't be so hundred percent uh, certain. Uh, Anyway, I would say that what regards Warsaw, Krakow, Gdańsk, Poznań, Wrocław, those are the, the, the largest and most prestigious universities in, in, in Poland. I've, I've never heard about anyone <laughs> suffering anything because of the critical, critical position. I would say that what regards especially law faculties is quite somehow understandable because usually overwhelming majority of faculty members are critical <laughs> not necessarily for purely political reasons but just for for you know professional legal uh, reasons etc uh, etc et that all this what the government is doing is something uh, unacceptable as you said in 21st century uh, 
in a country which is member of the European Union, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but I would say that everything depends on the outcome of the elections next year. Because if law and justice wins the third term, oh well, I will be retired already. <laughs> but but I, I, I cannot guarantee what, what they will try to or attempt to do also with universities. Because they try at least without too much success, but to establish some sort of alternative universities of, or high schools with absolutely clear political agenda, let's say. Although they do this not with not too much success sometimes. Uh, there is a very famous, extremely conservative Catholic lawyers organization, which is called Ordo Juris. Uh, and they established some sort of, it's not university, it's some sort of legal possibility to study law um, uh, or something like this. And they did it three years ago, I think. And for the first two years, they had some number of candidates. Last year, they accepted four students. And those were all candidates they had. So at the moment, I read it in the press, they had something like 40 faculty members and four students accepted for the first year of the studies. So it is clearly political, ideological initiative, let's say, although not necessarily so far very successful in terms of demand for uh, this kind of, of education, let's say. Yeah. I didn't realize that the level of control of the government was um, so important and went up to these kind of levels because yeah, yeah. many times when there is an autocratic regime, we tend to blame it only on the leader, but this kind of, of, of corruption of the system, of giving more points to one um, journal to the other, is very sophisticated and it yeah. requires collaboration. So it means that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, well, you know, it's true that they are probably a little bit more sophisticated uh, than some, uh, you know, Primitive dictators, let's say. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you keep you keep the the other journals, but you you touch instead of forbidding them, then you reduce the impact, and then you force the new generations to go to the ones that give more yeah, yeah, points. Yeah, yeah. It's mm -hmm. it's really quite sophisticated, and it requires a lot of collaboration from people that agree with the regime. It's something yeah, yeah. that. One tends to forget. Eh? Just because of the cost-benefit system that young people slowly but surely, I mean, collaborate with the ideas of the regime because they're, I mean, able to get success and then they are oblivious to all the other problems. I mean, would that also in the long run be a danger for, for example, uh, the Polish Society of Criminology? Because, I mean, if um, there is pressure of the government, 
Well, at the moment, I don't think so, uh, because they don't consider this society to be of any importance. This is something what 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 functions in a way and in the areas which at the moment are probably not considered to be important for for the government. You know, the impact, the influence is extremely limited because in terms of having any kind of public impact, there is probably no impact at all. I I don't remember, well, we we took as a society, uh, we took for a couple of times uh, certain specific positions regarding some criminological issues, some some pieces of legislation, etc., etc. And it was always so. It was not only after 2015. Uh, but you know, the membership of this society is not very significant. It's probably something around 100 members, which is rather a small uh, society, especially considering uh, the size of, of, of Poland. And I don't think that it ever had, was considered to be any sort of a, a, a troublemaker or, or problem. Therefore, at the moment, there is nothing endangering, I think, independence and, and such things with regards society. Uh, what will happen in the future is, is, is sometimes difficult to provide. It is usually two ways to deal with the problem, either to attempt to take over or to create, as, you, uh, as I said already, alternatives. And in few areas, uh, it was already other, completely other areas, it was already created to attempted to create such government-friendly alternatives, uh, let's say, but yeah. not, in, not in, in, in this area. But talking about alternatives, it might, for example, be that there is a, an attempt to establish, for example, a Polish Society of Security Science, uh, which Why may not? be much more related to government interesting yeah, 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 topics. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why not? This is, this is a good idea, as a matter of fact. I'm sorry, that's what to bring up. <laughs> Don't be too clever, Lisa, no, 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 okay. as you always are. <laughs> so, yeah, is there something, Christoph, that you think we, the ones who are lucky to live in, let's say, fully democratic societies, mm -hmm. um, is there something that we could do to help solve this situation without hurting the ones that are doing the job. Because you said you are mm -hmm. the people that are in the in big universities are the critical ones. Huh? Mm -hmm. It is a problem because it is certainly a completely different situation than, let's say, in countries like Belarus, which is an outright simple unsophisticated, brutal uh, dictatorship. But I would say that even different than many people say this, than in Hungary, for example, because still, let's say, Polish situation 
reminds me enormously American situation as a matter of fact. Society split in two, you know, Trumpists and Bidenists. In Poland, it would be supporters of law and justice and people who are against law and justice, let's say. And therefore, uh, I would say that control by the government over various things is not so total as even in Hungary, because there are still huge number of independent institutions. There is still uh, local self-government. For example, law and justice does not govern probably one single larger city in Poland. They have central government, but they do not govern on the local level, especially in big cities. Therefore, I would say that the need for some, let's say, support, help, etc., is not probably that much acute at the moment. It is completely different than under the communist time, when, uh, when, 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 let's say, civil society was helpless and totally dependent on support from, from outside. At the moment, probably it's not that bad. The problem is primarily to reverse this tendency in the future. And as I said, elections next year will be of decisive for this. Let me give you an example. During the last few days, we were arranging a campaign uh, against uh, a legislation adopted some time ago by the parliament. It is the, uh, the changes into penal code. Uh, changes into penal code which will, uh, if they enter into force, would throw back Polish penal law to communist times, as a matter of fact. It is pattern, only two examples, patterns well known from Hungary. Uh, life imprisonment without parole, for example, what is the, the darling, let's say. Uh, can you imagine such a thing introduced in a country where murder rate goes down significantly since about 15 years? So what's the need for this? Or possibility of applying this life imprisonment without parole to 14 year, years old. You know, that, that, that's, that's something beyond imagination. And we arrange a widespread, among lawyers, of course, campaign of signing appeal to, to the president to veto this legislation. And of course, such things happen very often in this country that certain uh, milieus, certain groups uh, mobilize uh, against uh, the government. And this may have sometimes impact even. They, they Sometimes they, they already a couple of times reversed uh, their uh, decisions. Therefore, you know, there are still internal possibilities to do something. Uh, and of course, the most important thing is devoting behavior of certain parts of the population. This 
must change if if real political change uh, and return to normal uh, situation has to 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 take place uh, so at the moment i would say that there is of course constantly pressure from european commission uh, european parliament and other bodies to do something about this law uh, this uh, law rule of law uh, problem because it's the only one problem as a matter of fact otherwise it is more or less democratically elected government and therefore they have some sort of legitimacy but otherwise they do within this legitimacy they do things absolutely unacceptable from the point of view of, of modern uh, democracy rule of law uh, division of powers and and certain things uh, but as I said, uh, there are still various uh, well, uh, bodies at the European level which are involved. It is not only European Commission or Parliament. Those are various uh, well, judicial associations, for example, or, or other uh, bodies which try to exert impact. This could, of course, uh, regard also scholarly associations, you know, but I would say that it would require something very, very specific uh, to, to, to intervene and to take uh, position, because in general terms, it's, it wouldn't be uh, efficient, I would say, no one would notice this probably uh, among the government people, it would have to be something really terrible. For example, not only life imprisonment without parole, but reinstituting death penalties. <laughs> what is probably absolutely unlikely. They would like to do this, uh, but they know uh, that it would be a, it would mean poll exit as a matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah, and also, yeah, outside of the Council of Europe. So, yeah, you know, I was asking you this because sometimes yeah, we think we have clever ideas, so let's make a letter of support, and you make a letter of support, and then you are blacklisting the good persons, because you're supporting persons. There will be no such effect, I think, because they yeah. uh, they have uh, own blacklists, and they know perfectly well who is on those blacklists, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. it is, it is not, as I said, it is not like a, a terrible uh, dictatorship, because most people still especially, let's say, among, uh, let's say, people my age or, or even much younger, uh, who, who have their positions, who have their reputation, etc., they express their views absolutely openly. And yeah. at the moment, no one uh, tried to make any consequences out of this, with exception of certain, but those does not happen often, uh, that sometimes they attempt to sue someone in court for I don't know, slander mm. or, or, or something like this. Uh, but still, you know, on the average, uh, courts are not controlled to that extent uh, that they are maybe certain of the judgment, you know. So yeah. uh, that's, that's still not guaranteed that, that courts are mm. absolutely obedient. But that's a typical strategy, for example, uh, with satiric journals, 
they start uh -huh. process and process and then the amount of money they have to spend the, these journals, for example, to pay the lawyers becomes yeah, so big yeah, yeah. that you cannot continue. Well, there is a danger and many journalists are afraid of such such things. But, you know, there is one additional thing that some at least of the journals, but also TV stations are foreign owned. And right. this complicates for the government matters extremely. Uh, one of the most critical TV stations, which they have excellent uh, also news channel, uh, uh, let's say, uh, TVN, uh, they are owned by Americans. Uh, Warner Bros. Uh, owns this. So they tried to do various things, but finally gave up because Americans were absolutely explicit uh, about eventual consequences of meddling into this news channel. Okay. We know how the contemporary situation is. If we try to go back a little bit to the development of criminology in, yeah. um, in Poland, I don't know when it, is, when, when it really started, criminology, because our reference is always Racinovich, uh, eh? but... Uh, yeah, yeah. One of the most, well spectacular, let's say, personalities, publications of criminological character or discussions of criminological issues started, as a matter of fact, probably at the end of 19th century, as a matter of fact. Luomo Delinquente was published in Polish in uh, 1897, for example. Ah, the first edition. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it was quite quick. Uh, after original has been published. So yeah. there was interest in criminology and therefore there were people doing things criminological, although uh, never under the name of criminology because it did not exist at that time. But there were at least a couple of famous social scientists, sociologists who devoted parts of their publications to things related to crime one of them was very prominent uh, Marxist uh, sociologist Ludwig Krzywicki, very well-known personality among sociologists who did write also on, on criminology. There were also, of course, lawyers who were doing things criminological, especially under the influence of the sociological school of penal law and positive school in criminology. There was a very famous professor of penal law, one who created uh, the Polish Penal Code in, of 1932, who was pupil of the Franz von Liszt. Uh, so he was uh, really well known in German speaking areas and he was a staunch supporter of the sociological school of penal law. And he published also intensively on things in fact, criminological. So it is probably similar to many other European countries where it started with, with lawyers and sometimes with doctors, uh, especially in Krakow, in southern Poland. There were many, a couple of prominent people who were uh, forensic, who were in, engaged in forensic medicine. Uh, and they did also think criminological, as a matter of fact. So 
The origins are quite early, although, as I said, no one considered or used the name criminology at that time. After World War One, it was quite interesting because, as some of you may know, or you may know, uh, Radzinovich, uh, he prepared his PhD under Enrico Ferri. After he did this, his, it was, I think, 1922 uh, or something like this. He was teaching two or three years in Geneva, somewhere. I, I'm not sure where, uh, where, but oh. he did. He had some. He was a private docent here in 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 Switzerland, and then he returned to Poland, and was interested in eventually establishing something criminological in Poland, and moreover at the Jagiellonian University in Krakow. And it was, well, some people in Krakow were interested eventually in this and started to, 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 to prepare eventually uh, something uh, for him. Of course, it would require, there was no other way at that time, it would uh, require to create a department or Lehrstuhl uh, in criminology. Uh, those attempts finally failed. And Radzinovich moved to Warsaw, but to the only one private university which existed at that time in Poland. And he has been lecturing criminology for a couple of years in Warsaw at this private uh, private university and published also publishing, doing uh, research. There were also some other uh, sociologists at that private university who were doing things criminological together with with uh, Radzinovich. Uh, of course, Radzinovich left, it was 36 or 37, and to the UK and, and stayed in, in UK. But there were some other people in Warsaw at that time uh, who were already doing things criminological. Primarily, it was Professor Stanisław Batavia, he was a psychiatrist, as a matter of fact, and lawyer by education, and he was one of the other criminologists in Poland, publishing already things, purely criminological uh, books, uh, articles, etc., etc. There was also, it's an interesting story, a person at, in Poznań at the university, his name was Stanisław Kuczma, who was somehow pupil of this famous Polish-American sociologist, Florian Znaniecki, oh, or Znaniecki, yeah. as we pronounce this, uh, because Znaniecki was in, in Poznań uh, also between two world wars. And it was Znaniecki who contacted, I think, Edwin Sutherland, uh, and Kuczma spent two or three years with Sutherland in Chicago. So uh, he was, to a certain extent, uh, Sutherland's pupil. Uh, unfortunately, he was uh, killed by Germans during the Second World War. So there were some origins of criminology also weak, but even to a certain extent institutional, at least personal, although there was no formally any kind of department with the name criminology in it neither in Krakow, nor in uh, Warsaw, nor in Poznań. Uh, 
As I have mentioned, after World War II, communists banned criminology for some difficult to, 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 to explain ideological <laughs> reasons. And this situation persisted till 1956. After 1956, this ban has been lifted and Professor Batavia, I have mentioned, re-established Department of Criminology at the Academy of Sciences in Warsaw, and they started uh, publishing archives of criminology, and they started to do research, empirical research. For many years, this department was really very well known in Poland for empirical research on offenders. It was a, for today, probably very traditional, uh, positivist, let's say, way of approaching uh, criminological research. But nevertheless, uh, it was of high uh, methodological standards, sometimes very interesting with with valuable uh, results. Uh, that's why we know quite a lot about certain things related to crime and criminals uh, in Poland during 1960s and 1970s. That's the result of, of their, their research. And this established, let's say, uh, foundations for future developments during the 1980s uh, and after fall of the Berlin uh, Wall, because there were already some numbers of, let's say, Batavias and other people's uh, pupils who were uh, taking over from, from this older generation. So criminology obviously expanded, especially during the, at the end of 1970s, and 1980s already, and later on it was it became somehow obvious, at least in quantitative <laughs> terms. Yeah, this is, however, a very interesting um, part of the Polish criminological history because I personally I uh, didn't expect that there would be this kind of research under the communist regime in the 1950s and 60s because in many other uh, communist regimes. For example, in, in Eastern Germany, it was only um, the Marxist school that was taught at, at universities. So you talk about uh, more traditional criminological research uh, on the correlates of offending, which is quite special. I mean, in this kind of context where people um, were working under the, the Soviet regime, just to, to say, I mean, to be honest, the first thing that, as I said, there were leftovers of pre-war criminology in Poland. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so there were people who were educated uh, in normal conditions and were able to, to conduct normal research, etc. Uh, that was the first factor. And they remained in country. They did not emigrate like it was the case in some other Central and Eastern European countries. That was the first factor. Second factor was that Poland, compared with Eastern Germany, uh, was a different world with regards freedom of research, freedom of thought, etc. Of course, 
it was a communist authoritarian country, but still there were some niches, you know, uh, for some people at least, where they were able to, to do things they wanted. They had probably no practical impact whatsoever. Uh, but in terms of research, they were more or less free and able to, to do decent and reasonable things. And this was probably the case with, with Batavia and this Warsaw, uh, let's say, circle of, of, of criminologists who were very often also regime critical, but still they were somehow tolerated. They could have sometimes troubles, problems, etc. For example, one, <laughs> one example is interesting. He was a pupil of, of Batavia to a certain extent, Professor Jerzy Jasiński, the late Jerzy Jasiński, who was in Warsaw. And during the 1960s, it is a very good and very interesting study uh, regarding comparative punitiveness of criminal justice systems in Europe, where, of course, getting data, data from Western Europe was no problem for him at that time. The trick was to find something about countries of Central and Eastern Europe. And he used various private contacts to obtain from some people from Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Eastern Germany, some data on imprisonment, incarceration rate, prison population, and, and such things. And prepared really excellent study comparing primarily Polish, because here the data were available without too much problems, other Central and Eastern European countries, and Western Europe. And of course, it was, the result was obvious, but it was proven that Central and Eastern Europe or communist countries are unbelievably punitive with regards uh, crime control policies. And it was a very, very large article he prepared, and censorship, which existed at date time, prohibited to publish it. It took, I think, two years for this ban to be lifted, but finally they succeeded. And the article was published without practically any changes, you know. So that illustrates certain things that you could have problems, you could have trouble, including censorship interventions and, and, and such things unthinkable for any other normal country. But still, on many occasions, if you were persistent, you could finally succeed with, with doing something. Of course, this text had no practical impact whatsoever uh, because communist authorities were not impressed <laughs> by those results. Uh, but nevertheless, we have at least a very good quality uh, documentation of certain things which were going on um, at that, uh, that time. Uh, this was probably different in Poland because, as I said, uh, statistical data were mostly available. 
both police statistical data and uh, judicial statistical data, uh, also data on imprisonment rate on prison population. They were regularly even published absolutely officially in statistical yearbooks. Uh, what was not the case, for example, in Bulgaria, Romania, not to mention uh, Soviet Union. Okay, uh, so there were some data to be used, and there were also po possibilities to to publish even uh, results of this research, even if the impact of this research was either non-existent or very narrow, uh, let's say. In some other countries, there was no even such possibility. <laughs> I remember in the 1970s, someone, it was a joke, practical joke, uh, gave me, because of some occasion, I was a, a young uh, assistant at the university, a Russian handbook of criminology. And uh, there was a chapter on criminal statistics in this. And can you imagine this? In this chapter on criminal statistic, statistics, there was no one single digit provided. <laughs> can you? <laughs> Incredible, yeah. In that respect, Poland was, was, was probably still different than many other countries. To a certain extent, at least it was similar in Hungary, because they had also access to statistical data and, and such things. Uh, in Czechoslovakia, they had it too, but only up till 1968. After 1968 and Soviet invasion, it changed uh, completely. Okay, this is important because you mentioned a couple of times 1956, and although mm -hmm. I was born 10 years after that, I know <laughs> what it means, the protest in 1956, but I'm not sure that uh, younger generations, yeah. maybe especially those who are not related to, to Central and Eastern Europe, mm -hmm. know exactly what happened. And perhaps what happened in Prague is more, more well known because yeah, 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 the yeah. writers, maybe you could explain what happened yeah, for the academia. Let's... Of course, it's 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 history of of remote uh, region uh, of the world. So during the 1940s, uh, communists took over power in all countries of 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 Eastern uh, of Central Europe. Uh, this was, of course, only due to the fact that Red Army in 1945 so-called liberated Central Europe from. German occupation, but like many people today say, it was substitution of one occupation with other <laughs> occupation, equally brutal sometimes and problematic. And of course, it would be impossible for any Central European Communist Party to take power without Red Army being present uh, on uh, on those territories. And this was a time of, well, the first secretary, the, the, the head of the Soviet Union, Marshal Stalin, uh, was probably one of the most brutal dictators in the history of, of the world, which probably equals Adolf Hitler uh, in many respects. Uh, and under, as long as Stalin Lived, Central Europe was governed by outright brutal terror. It was absolutely unbelievable amount of 
well, brutal, cruel terror. Uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people were killed, imprisoned, etc., uh, etc. Et Stalin died in 1953, and since that time, Soviet Union started slowly to liberalize a little bit. In 1956, several things took place. There's this party gathering of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, and Khrushchev had his famous secret speech about Stalinist terror and Stalinist crimes. And this resulted in, uh, let's say, progressing liberalization also throughout Eastern Europe. I would say, and many people, political scientists, sociologists say that up till 1956, Soviet Union and most countries of the region were brutal, bloody dictatorships. Starting 1956, at least Central European countries like Poland, Czechoslovakia, Hungary became authoritarian countries uh, using also from time to time brutal methods, but certainly not to the extent uh, like it was the case before 1956. And therefore, you know, period before 1956 for most countries of the region is like black hole, you know. After 1956, certain things became possible, at least, and there was no systematic, so brutal, so outright repression like it was the case uh, earlier. Therefore, it is true that, that uh, 1956 is a crucial point uh, because many things changed in terms of politics, in terms of, of, of social life, in terms of, uh, of universities, freedom of research, and, 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 and such things. It was not normalization, but still it was different. Even if in 1956 the Soviet Union sent the tanks mainly to Prague, yeah. then the, so the, the, the result... At that time to Budapest. Ah, yeah, sorry. Budapest. Yeah. 56 yeah. Budapest, yeah. yeah. Sorry, sorry. Um, so it, the result was, at least for uh, for Poland and for Hungary, was yeah a little bit less. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, in Hungary, it took place in nineteen uh, in during the nineteen sixties because immediately after the info, in, intervention, it was of course terrible. But during the nineteen sixties, uh, they created Janos Kadar, the first general secretary of the Communist Party. Uh, they created some sort of what they called uh, goulash communism, uh, what means uh, providing some sort of economic stability uh, in exchange for, let's say, political obedience of the population. In Poland, it was probably a little bit different, but still it was absolutely noticeable. That's a very interesting discussion because I think there are many aspects which are not so very much known, um, especially among the younger scholars, because I've also been, been teaching now for about 20 years. When I talk about um, the 1980s and, and, and the 1970s and the differences between Eastern and Western Europe, I see that many people don't know. The new generation has completely forgotten about all. Because, you know, uh, I think that the problem is that many uh, people consider so-called Eastern Bloc to be absolutely unified bloc. Yeah, it's not true. What was, what was not the case 
there were differences and there were you know countries like Poland or Hungary uh, which enjoyed some sort of internal freedom mm -hmm. and there were also countries like Romania which yeah. suffered under more. most bizarre dictatorship yeah. but exactly. Romania in exchange enjoyed some freedom uh, in foreign policy uh, can you imagine that all countries of Central Europe, Eastern Europe, in 1967, after Arab-Israeli war, mm -hmm. were forced to break diplomatic relations with Israel? Moscow did this, mm -hmm. but not Romania. Romania was the only one country of the region which preserved diplomatic relations with Israel. So... It was sometimes very, very complicated and unexpected, I would say, uh, to a certain extent. And different to understand and it for, for outsiders, because the information we receive is, of course, only very limited, because not everything is, is being told or has been recorded. So, um... Christoph, you, you were born um, in the 50s, and this means that you received your education during... Um, the period of the communist regime, even if, as you just told us, it was a little bit less um, tough than before. But how was criminology? Did you get a specific uh, education in criminology apart from, from law? And how yeah. was it? No, well, no. Yes, and, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, I originally uh, read law during my uh, law studies. Uh, I was approached by one of the professors who taught me at that time criminal procedure, but he was also a lawyer and sociologist by uh, education. He graduated both in both areas, and he uh, probably, I don't know, was satisfied because we had such introductory course in sociology during the first year of studies. Lawyers had this at that time. Very useful, in my opinion. Not the case anymore, but nevertheless, uh, it was interesting. And he was teaching also this course. And afterwards, he approached, after exam, he approached me and said, would I be interested in doing something in the area of criminology? because he is going to found a, a department of criminology at the Jagiellonian University. And if possibility uh, exists, he would like to employ me. But he said, but only under one condition. You have also to study sociology and to graduate in sociology. Uh, and I said, well, okay, why not? That's interesting. And so I, I, I graduated in law and started my sociological studies, also at the Jagiellonian. And even earlier, I get employment as assistant uh, in the Department of Criminology. And therefore, I always make say that because I am a lawyer and sociologist, it makes me to criminology. And most of the people in Krakow department, all of them are lawyers, but... Each one has also some social science background, either uh, sociology, psychology, or, or, or something similar. Some, sometimes not uh, full uh, studies, but they, they, they had some encounters, let's say, with, with this. And, you know, it was interesting thing because I started to work 
at the university in autumn of 1976. And I was probably extremely lucky. Well, to be honest, my university studies were also not uh, something what you may expect uh, from Central and Eastern Europe. Because if you started in Eastern Germany, you were fed exclusively on Marxist diet uh, and nothing else. And it was, let's say, primitive Marxist <laughs> diet, orthodox Marxist diet. Neither my legal studies nor sociological studies were like this. Because most law professors were either pre-war law professors or direct pupils of such people, you know, which meant that they were normal people, let's say. Of course, they had to live within certain realities, but still there was, well, unless no one, of course, explicitly criticized uh, things, etc. But still, those were decent, interesting uh, lectures and, and other classes in legal matters. I would say that the same was the case in sociology, where most of things we were doing, we were reading, we were discussing, were things from American sociology. <laughs> it was, it, well, the, the, practically no one uh, spoke about Soviet sociology, if something like this ever existed, or similar things. So everything was American. So the, 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 the faculty was also, even if those were people who were, for example, members of the Communist Party, etc., it was just, you know, impossible. Uh, they were usually quite good sociologists in many respects, and they realized that it's impossible to speak about sociology without referring constantly to Western experience, Western uh, American uh, science, etc. So this was the first first thing that I learned certain things, not somewhere underground in secret meetings, etc. There were certain limits to academic freedom, but still it was not uh, so terrible as some people in the West uh, could suspect at that time. And when I started, and there was also one thing additional, which this was a huge difference between Poland and practically all other countries of the region, with exception again of Hungary, that we were able to have some contacts with Western universities, Western colleagues, American universities, American colleagues, etc. It was not unproblematic very often. There were some, some trouble. Uh, that people were not were refused passports, for example, to travel to the West, etc. But in principle, it was possible. And for my, uh, let's say, uh, development, there were crucial two things. First of all, at the end of the 1970s, Jagiellonian uh, has signed some sort of cooperation and exchange agreement with. Uh, American University, uh, University of Connecticut. By the way, at that time at the University of Connecticut, Cohen, 
uh, <laughs> was present. So it was quite interesting. That's how I met and attended his class. <laughs> Americans, it was one person from Poland, from Krakow, to go for a year as a graduate student uh, to, to stores Connecticut uh, uh, within the framework of this agreement. And earlier there was a, uh, one of the professors at UConn visiting Krakow and Americans said they, they, he met me. He knew that I speak more or less decent English already at that time. And they said that they want me as a first to go in this exchange program. So in 1980, I was lucky enough to have an opportunity to go for a year to be at the University of Connecticut, to attend classes, to collect my, my materials for my PhD, etc., etc. And it was, of, of course, an extremely important experience. I wouldn't say that it changed my view of the world, but it had certainly <laughs> significant impact on, 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 on my perceptions of many things, not to mention that I've got access, direct access to the literature in criminology. Uh, I had contact with people like Albert Cohen, also at that time already quite old and, and practically half retired, but still it was impressive things because I knew the name, of course, the, from, from earlier experience. So this was uh, one thing which established some of my contacts with uh, American uh, colleagues. You know, it is astonishing. I don't know why, because at that time it was common for people who were departing for such scholarships in the West to be invited by, by secret political police with uh, offer, uh, well, you know, we need some information. Could you be of any help? <laughs> I was never summoned. I just received passport, received my visa, American visa, and flown <laughs> to New York and, and spent uh, a year in Yukon. Then, of course, the solidarity martial law has been introduced, etc., etc. I finished my, my PhD. I was already doctor. Uh, and at that time, it was, well, I wouldn't say easy, uh, but there was a very strong support from Germany for Poland in general and Polish scholars in particular. And Alexander von Humboldt Stiftung, which is equivalent of, of Fulbright, uh, American Fulbright, uh, provided extremely intensively uh, scholarships for Polish researchers. Practically most of the people from my Institute of Criminal Law at that time at the Jagiellonian visited Max Planck Institute in, in, in Freiburg, either as Max Planck uh, scholars or Humboldt scholars. And I obtained Humboldt Scholarship in 1987. Well, I spent in Freiburg 16 months altogether, which was, again, yet another formative period <laughs> for me. By the way, it was the only time that I was in, in, in Freiburg that I met Leon Radinovich. He used to live already at that time in, in Philadelphia, in the United States, uh, but he came to, to, to Freiburg 
uh, in search of materials for such a booklet on the history of International Criminal Law Association. It was published uh, by Max Planck Institute. He, uh, he met uh, with the Polish community uh, also at Max Planck. There were some eight people, I think, from Poland at that time at Max Planck, and we had meeting with him. Uh, so I was lucky enough to meet some prominent personalities in world criminology. <laughs> this is uh, really too much information. We have to go uh, uh, slowly. So it was 1980, uh, Connecticut, and the Max 80, Planck was in? 8081, it was Connecticut. Yeah. And 87, 88, Max Planck. Max Planck. So when you went to, to the USA, uh, well, of course, it's 1980, Solzhenitsyn published uh, Gulag Archipelago in 1974, so many people were already, many of the long-time Marxists had already been changing their ideas, but I suppose that you met some, still there were some Marxists uh, of the old school, uh, the Western Marxists. How was this contact with these persons that had a, a different idea of uh, what was going on behind the Iron Curtain? Well, you know, Honestly speaking, I never had close contact with a real orthodox, well, real Western Marxist or yeah. a real uh, discussion. Uh, well, most people with whom I had contacts in the United States were either Americans. Uh, Eastern European emigrees. There was a group of faculty members, professors uh, at UCAN who emigrated from, from Eastern Europe, uh, from Hungary after 1956 or from Germany. They were hardly <laughs> Marxists uh, <laughs> because of their uh, experience. But there was also some other aspects to this because I met some Polish emigrees in Connecticut, who were, of course, staunchly anti-communist, who was absolutely, who was absolutely, what is absolutely, what was absolutely understandable, uh, in no way. But when I talked to them, I probably not at that time, but now I realize this, that they were suspecting me of being some sort of uh, whoever knows who he is, uh, how it was possible that he came here, what he talks about, and uh, unless he uh, repeats every second uh, sentence anti-communist paroles, uh, he must be some sort of suspicious person. <laughs> you know, connected to the Secret Service, uh, police. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, uh, well, that's obvious that it was somehow justified. You know. Of course, they could probably, because most of those people had some acquaintances with uh, other people in Poland, they could check uh, about this, etc. But there was this strange relation. But as I said, I, I never practically had a chance to discuss at that time uh, with real Western Marxists uh, certain things. I, of course, I was able to, to, to read some uh, something extremely critical, for example, written from Marxist perspective, 
uh, about solidarity, about this uh, Polish revolution, uh, let's say, etc., that it is what was absolutely true uh, to a certain extent, staunchly conservative Catholic, uh, etc., what, what we have we face the consequences uh, now <laughs> to a certain extent, uh, but uh, and it, they were extremely critical about this workers acting against communist progressive uh, government. Well, but those were published things, you know. You know, uh, really, no, no way, no chance to 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 approach uh, a real Western. Uh, Western communists. They were hiding somewhere, uh, <laughs> probably. <laughs> okay, that's uh, that. That's interesting. And also, well, you mentioned uh, Ratzinovich. I was just to make a comparison because uh, I discussed once with uh, Miklos Levi, and uh, he said that uh, Denis Abo, who escaped from Hungary, um, he was in contact since the 1980s with um, Hungary. He was going back to, uh, mm -hmm. to Budapest. And so I was wondering, Ratzinovich did not keep... No. Ah. He, he was in Poland only once after World War II. He was invited uh, by the government. This was a visit in, during the 1970s. He was already retired from Cambridge, I think, at that time. Uh, and he was invited with a group of, uh, let's say, uh, scholars, researchers of various areas of Polish origin, uh, and they were made, a, there was a tour uh, in Poland uh, arranged for them by, by the government. And I remember even in one of the weeklies at that time, I have read an article about this and Radzinovich was mentioned there, that he was present. And he mentions this, I think, in, uh, in his Adventures of Criminology, that, that he was in, 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 in Poland only once. Uh, but it does not mean that uh, he had no contacts with uh, Poland uh, because um, one of his articles, which was pre about the crime and economic conditions, uh, which was prepared when he was still in Poland, and it was published in English 1939 or 1940, and mentioned Professor Jasiński translated it into Polish and arranged for being published in 1970s, I think, in Polish. So it was the only one thing uh, by Radzinovich who, which was published in Polish uh, after World War II. And therefore, he maintained some sort of contact with Jasiński. They knew each other. And he maintained also contact with with a guy, uh, his name was Krzysztof Poklewski Kozio. He was a secretary of uh, state and law, this, this legal uh, journal, a pupil of Batavia, who was also partly criminologist. And he was also traveling a little bit. Primarily, uh, he visited, um, he was in some contact in, with the United Nations. Uh, and uh, he attended some those UN conferences, etc. And they met, he met Radzinovich for a couple of times. It's quite incredible to think that he spent 45 years, because he left immediately after World War II, huh? Eh? Before, before even, before. Ah, before? Before, for 37. 
37. He, he departed in 1937. So for 60 years, in 60 years, he went back only once. Only once. Well, you know, many people who left because of communist takeover were reluctant to, to, to visit Poland because of various uh, reasons, you know. Some were afraid of eventual uh, sort of political entrapment, whatever. They didn't like to visit country under communist rule. Some of them, it is difficult to say, but you know, it may uh, also have something to do that because Radzinovich's father was a doctor, very well-known uh, doctor, specialist in throat diseases, and he was killed by Germans during the World, World War II. Oh. Yes, he, he, he died in Auschwitz, I think. You know, and of course, for Radzinovich, uh, this could be also some sort of, 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 of traumatic experience. I don't know yeah. whether it was really, but you know, some were coming without any uh, problems. Some uh, just cut off contacts with with yeah. country, although not completely, because he uh, had some some contacts with with Polish people, Polish scholars, and and maintained some sort of communication. Yeah, one tend to forget how terrible all that was, and and then yeah, the, yeah, the life he could have had under another circumstances, a completely different life. I, yeah. I checked I check during the, the, the break that we made, um, uh, the, the short biography by Roger Hood. And yes, so he went to Rome to study with Ferry, which yep. means that he was fluent in, in Italian, probably. Probably, although his doctorate was published uh, in French. Yeah, and that is what I check. Uh, Roger Hood <laughs> mentions the, the School of Law, I suppose it's the Faculty of Law in Geneva, yeah, yeah, he was a private docent, and he published also in French. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah because yeah. Ferry also has La Sociologie Criminelle, mm -hmm. Criminal Sociology, his book. He mm -hmm. published it in French, and he mm -hmm. signs Henri Ferry. He doesn't sign ah. uh, Enrico <laughs> Ferry. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's the editor that changed it. I don't know, but uh, if you... And now it's available because everything is in PDF. Yeah, it yeah. is there, and uh, so probably... They could use uh, French. I have to check well, again. It may be that they communicated in French, but Radzinovich spent a couple of years in Rome, I think. So So yeah. he had picked up some Italian. Certainly, there's no yeah. way to, uh, to avoid this when you live in Rome. <laughs> yeah. So we, we know that you have to live in five minutes because you have a class. Mm -hmm. But I have the, we, we introduced with living a kind of bonus question and... Uh, is how crime has changed in your country during, during your lifetime. Huh? Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, or even your country changes. It's more difficult for you than from someone who comes from, I don't know, Italy, mm -hmm. for example. But mm -hmm. what would you say? In 1990, there was a general expectation and belief that we, Poland, are going back to Europe. Uh, we were cutting off from from Europe uh, for for 50 years, and now we have to to go back and to catch up with everything European, which means economy, culture, politics, 
and crime. <laughs> socialist Poland, or generally socialist countries, were supposed to be free of crime. This was a Marxist prediction, you know, that crime will disappear with the de development of the most progressive political and economic system uh, in mankind's history. It was not necessarily uh, true, uh, but nevertheless, because of various reasons, probably, uh, crime existed, but was quite different, and at least in official terms, in terms of registered offenses rate, uh, crime was much, much lower than in Western Europe. The best example, which I give always to my students, is comparison of Western and Eastern Germany, uh, because the registered offenses rate in Western Germany uh, at the end of the 1980s was something like 7,000 per 100,000 population. In Eastern Germany, it was 700 per 100,000 population. So 10 times lower. Was it a credible thing? Certainly not. Crime offenses were under-registered, were, let's say, hidden uh, in various ways uh, for ideological reasons, because the problem was to prove at any price that socialism is much better than, than capitalism, etc., etc. But it is true that, let's say, streets, and certain places were probably much safer than they became after 1990. Uh, after 1990, crime started to get normal. And I would say that there were two phases, you know. The first one was 1990s, which was a really problematic thing. There was a huge increase, growth of crime, of registered offenses, although it's no time to, to elaborate on this. But in many respects, it was probably more a statistical artifact uh, than, than, than real development. But partly it was a real development because of one thing, that when you have such deep, profound political, social and economic transformation, we know from the times of Durkheim, that it has impact on crime, <laughs> that mm -hmm. rapid social transformation has negative impact on crime. It creates anomie and whatever else, okay? So uh, this uh, growth of crime was uh, real, especially what made people to, to be afraid of was uh, organized crime, because this was something what during the 1990s was probably new, unexpected, also crimes committed with firearms, which were unheard of uh, before 1990s and, and, and so on. But I would say with around 2005, things started to stabilize. And let's say, well, since years, registered offenses go down in Poland, which is similar to trends in many other European countries that generally certain offenses rates are, are rather declining. Uh, I would say that if there were certainly people who felt insecure on streets of some Polish cities during the 1990s, it could be even me. <laughs> now, I don't feel huge difference 
between Krakow, Warsaw, Berlin, or some other European cities. But this is because you got used to living in a Western style or because crime went down in uh, Krakow after the both. 90s? Both, probably both, <laughs> uh, you know, I think. Uh, and there is also one, it is an interesting thing to mention because Poland uh, was w the only one Eastern European country which participated in all sweeps of ICVS. Mm -hmm. So we have a nice time series since 1990, as a matter of fact. And then there were after, because ICVS was not repeated since 2004, I think, yes. uh, but, but it was repeated in Poland. The questionnaire, which was used uh, for the purpose of victimization surveys in Poland, uh, was practically identical with ICVS questionnaire, what makes uh, possible comparisons, you know. And I show it always this uh, juxtaposition of registered offensive trends and victimization trends in Poland. Registered offenses trends, especially in the second half of the 1990s, went up enormously, while victimization rates were constantly, slowly, but going down. How to explain this? And there is very good explanation when you look at readiness to report offenses which you have also from ICVS. In 1990, only about 33% of victimizations were reported to the police. In recent years, more than 50% were reported. Okay. So during the last 30 years, readiness to report increased unbelievably, which of course must have had enormous tremendous impact on registered offenses rate. Mm -hmm. So it was this growth of crime may be attributed probably at least partly to changes in readiness to report offenses and not necessarily to real developments in, in crime. Of course, there was growth of crime, no, no way to deny this, but you have always to take into consideration this, this, this other aspect as well. Okay, perfect. This, this was very clear. I will leave the last word to, to Lieben because I talk too much today as always, but um, I would really like to thank you because, I mean, we've known each other for 20 years eh, since the beginnings of the of the ESC and um, and you organized the conference in 2005, which means that we, we discussed a lot during all these years. I remember the, mm -hmm. the the dinner with claps with clapping <laughs> in, in, in Krakow that maybe one day we can well it was nothing that cannot be said but okay the restaurant uh, still exists ah okay now we should go back. pandemic <laughs> so that was a, a nice anecdote but uh, yeah maybe one day we can tell it 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 was very nice but we yeah we discussed many times but uh, there are things that um that I really didn't know and that are fascinating about your biography, even if the, the focus of our um, podcast is in the development of criminology in Europe, not at the individual level. But I think you said much more today than, than in the interview for the oral history project. Eh? Um, I think so. Yeah, but we were completely different, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it was... Um, yeah, it's fascinating. And all the things that you saw changing during all these years... Um, 
Yeah, I'm really happy to have had this discussion because a, a lot of things I didn't know, even if we had discussed many times and uh, alone. So, but uh, yeah, I learned a lot today. Thank you very much, Chris. Glad to hear this. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much as well. I mean, I could repeat the same. I mean, it's fascinating to, to hear um, about details which are not always so clear from an outsider's point of view, even if we work in the same field and have discussed things earlier. It still is fascinating, both at the individual uh, level and at the, the level of criminology. Uh, there are so many similarities um, from a purely historical point of view, but also differences with, which, I mean, one would not expect because people tend to generalize. I mean, like you yeah. said, I mean, the, the, the idea that it's just uh, the West is, is one part of the world and the former communist countries are one part. It, it's not like that. And I think this is one of the um, important contributions. Uh, I hope our listeners will uh, enjoy hearing about these uh, subtle differences. So thank you very, very much for your time. Thank you. This was You're a welcome. Most enjoyable interview. And we, I hope to discuss things further later on if we have an opportunity on the next conference. In Florence. Yeah. But a lot of things that you said need to be kept eh, for the yeah, future. For, we didn't talk about cybercrime, for example. And I would, but this we will have the time to do it again. And I okay. think it's a very good testimony also for the people that will hear this um, exactly. a few years from now. So glad to, to to meet you and and take care, gentlemen and. And see you soon. <laughs> In see you soon, Christoph. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye bye. 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 Thank you for following Liven and Marcelo's Criminology Podcast. This podcast is edited by Eduardo Coco from the University of Lausanne. Our theme song is Seagull's Night, Noche de Gaviotas, composed by Gustavo Cantero, arranged by Tato Germano, and played by Tato and Gustavo with the voices of Sasha Conte and Alejandro Turco Gujot. Your hosts are Lieben Pauwels from Ghent University, Belgium, and Marcelo Aedi from the University of Lausanne, Switzerland. Cheers, and see you soon.